listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. As always, thanks for tuning in. Has anyone looked at the calendar yet today? Today is 1019 Day, October 19th. And I want to take a moment on this 1019 Day to say thank you. Thank you for listening to this show Thank you for creating a unique community forum. Thank you for your thoughtful insights. And if you've been able to, thank you for maintaining or starting your financial support. Of course, right now, that financial support has been more critical than ever before because of all this incredible economic disruption that we are experiencing because of the pandemic. And so to all of you who have stepped up to make sure that we keep all of the great programming here at WDET on the air and intact. Again, thank you. Without you, there would be no Detroit Today. Without you, there would be no WDET. Up next, sometimes the story of one person's individual experience can shine a light on bigger issues that affect us all. Our next conversation is one of those instances. Timothy Snyder is a history professor at Yale and author of several books. We had him on the show last year to talk about his book on tyranny. And we talked about Donald Trump and the trend toward authoritarianism and whether these were things that really signaled a change in the way that we govern ourselves here in this country. But within months that followed that interview, Timothy became very ill and documented his experiences navigating the healthcare system here in America. The result is his newest book called Our Malady, which simultaneously chronicles Snyder's own story and reveals the deeper systemic maladies within our nation's healthcare system. Timothy Snyder, welcome back to Detroit Today. Glad to be talking to you, Stephen. Yeah. So in the very beginning of this book, you talk about the words malaise and malady, and you note that they mean both illness and tyranny. Can you talk about that in the historical context and how nicely that word malady functions to describe the real crux of the message in this new book? Yeah, I was I was thinking I was thinking about about freedom and tyranny already when I when I got sick. And uh, it sort of came naturally to use a good old-fashioned word like like malady, um, in part because I re- when I was in the emergency room, I was using the word malaise. And malaise, you know, malaise or malaise, it means when you, you, you feel sick, but you also feel like you don't quite know what could possibly make you feel better. You feel like everything's gone wrong at the same time. Mm. And so I wanted to use that word to talk about us, to talk about our country, to talk about where we are now, because I, I have the feeling that that our health problems, you know, that the that that our life expectancy isn't getting longer anymore, that that too many babies and too many mothers die in childbirth, um, that we have on top of everything, on top of everything else, this pandemic, which is killing far too many of us at, at far too many rates, that that these are symptoms of something deeper. These are symptoms of a politics that doesn't know how to handle pain and suffering, or of a kind of politics rather that has taken pain and suffering and as normal. And which instead of addressing them is, is 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 multiplying them. So what the book is about is about how uh, it's about it's it's not really about me. I mean, it's about things that I thought about when I was in, in a hospital bed and couldn't do anything else. But it's really about how 
our, 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 our sickness, the way we let ourselves get sick is political and therefore it's something that can be fixed. And if we fixed it, we would, we would be, we would be freer people. Mm. So I don't want to give away the whole premise of the book because we want listeners to go out and buy it and read it. But uh, it's fair to say that you got really sick at the end of last year. And through that personal experience, you were able to explore these deeper systemic issues within our really creaky healthcare system. So as you see it, what are the basic symptoms of this collective malady that you're talking about? I think a, a basic symptom is that we don't know how to talk about freedom anymore. I mean, it's, it's funny that Americans talk more and more about freedom, but I think we mean less and less by it. Mm. You know, your, fir your first question was really smart and I didn't, I didn't actually hit the nail on the head. One of the things I wanted to say is that when the founding fathers talked about malady, they meant not just that people were sick, they meant there was like a larger, a larger national problem, right? So like after the Boston massacre, there, there was a letter signed by, a, 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 by prominent people in Boston, which talked about a national and colonial malady. They were talking about the condition of, of, of the colonies under, under British oppression. And, and, you know, Jefferson, you know, the author of, of Pursuit of Happiness, one of the most important statements in our, in our political history, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Jefferson was, was obsessed himself with the idea that you couldn't pursue happiness unless you were healthy. When you, when you look at the correspondence of the founders, they are worried very often about illness of, the, of themselves, of their friends, but also how illness affects the politics of the early country. There was a year, 1793, when Congress couldn't meet because of yellow fever, for example. And what I was thinking about when I was sick is how when you can't, you know, when you can't talk, right, my lungs collapsed at one point, I couldn't talk. When you can't talk, you don't have freedom of speech. I was, I was confined to a hospital bed for a long time, and for a time after that, I was walking around with a liver bag. You know, when you're in a condition like that, freedom of assembly is totally meaningless. And when you're worried about dying, then just freedom as a whole doesn't make much sense because freedom is about thinking what you can do next, what mm. your choices are, how you can be unpredictable. And so I think our biggest problem is that when we talk about freedom, we're thinking about like the market, which isn't a person, or we're thinking about like somebody not doing something to us. What we should be thinking about is all the great things we can do in the world, like an imagination and unpredictability, a wide range of aims and purposes and achievements. And to get there, you need to have health. You need to feel like you need to be healthy, but you need to also feel like that someone is protecting you, that you're secure, that you don't have to worry about health. And, and I, Americans get themselves down by saying, oh, no, I can't have health care because that would violate my freedom. And I think that's just completely bonkers and wrong and self-destructive, destructive not only of health, but of freedom. People who have health care are actually freer than people who don't have health care. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, I don't want to give away everything about the book, but I think what you were just talking about, this sort of contest or conflict between the concepts of, of freedom that have to do with uh, objects or, or markets or money and concepts of freedom that have to do with our freedom to be ourselves or just to, to, to be, I think – there's a point in the book that really is an inflection point for that conflict. And this is the point where you are released from the hospital after a pretty serious procedure early because that's the way we do it in this country. In other words, 
the, the, the competition for hospital beds, the cost of keeping someone in a hospital outweighs some common sense health imperatives. Can, can you talk about that moment and how that probably crystallized for you uh, a lot of the things that you're trying to get us to, to focus on in this book? Yeah, thank you. That's that's very well put. I mean, what happened to me happens to happens to everybody in this country. We we have a commercial medical system. That means that our hospitals are private. They're very often monopolies without competition. They're very often owned by private equity companies that are not interested in health or medicine or your life or death at all. They're only interested in the bottom line. And as a result, unlike pretty much everywhere else, including a lot of poorer countries, decisions about you know how soon a woman can be allowed to come into a hospital to give birth or how quickly she has to be released those decisions are not driven by medicine those decisions are driven by profit and as a result far too many babies and mothers died i had an appendectomy which was a complicated procedure because my appendix had already burst several days earlier and there was widespread infection after that appendectomy um it was or before that appendectomy it was discovered that i had a liver infection but because I was released a few hours after the surgery, no one mentioned to me that I have a liver infection. No one treated the liver infection. I was simply released from the hospital with a couple of pills. And as a result of that, the liver infection spread, got into my blood, and almost killed me. In any normal country, in India, in Bulgaria, in any normal country, I would have been kept in the hospital longer. People would have noticed, and I, I wouldn't and I wouldn't have gotten to the point of almost, almost dying. But the point is that as you say, this is a systemic problem. Americans have gotten themselves talked into the idea that healthcare is just a commodity like any other commodity. But once you accept that, what you're saying is that freedom belongs to the market, but it doesn't belong to me. And that's completely backwards. You know, freedom, the market's not a thing, it's an abstraction. It can't be free or not free in the sense that people can be. We are the ones who have to be free. And when we say our body is a commodity, that it's okay for our organs to be bought and sold, that decisions about where our body, whether our body's in the hospital or not, it's okay for those decisions to be purely economic. What we're saying is we're not free. We don't deserve freedom. We don't care about freedom. And, and I think that's where we've gotten ourselves to. And so this is like, this is fundamentally why I think we have to talk about healthcare as a human right. Mm. Because if we don't talk about our health in terms of rights, our body in terms of rights, then we're conceding that territory to the market. We're making our bodies just one more widget, just one more thing, which is which is bought and sold. And then, you know, then we let ourselves be convinced that that's normal. But that's not normal. It doesn't have to be that way. By saying that we have this right to health care, we're making ourselves not only healthier, but we're also making ourselves freer. Mm. I'm talking with Timothy Snyder. He is the Richard C. Levin Professor of History at Yale University and a permanent fellow at the Institute for Human Sciences in Vienna. He's also the author of a newly released book titled Our Malady, Lessons in Liberty from a Hospital Diary. It is about his personal health challenges that he's experienced over the last year and what they tell us about the systemic issues that we have with healthcare and the healthcare system uh, in this country. We're also talking about what that problem with our health system tells us about our notions of freedom. How do we define freedom in this country? It's a word that people use all the time, especially right now as we're talking about 
restrictions that we all have to live under because of the pandemic. You have a lot of folks pushing back against those, saying, you know, my freedom is more important than the public health uh, outcomes that uh, you may want for yourself or for society. But why do we define freedom in that way and not in terms of our health, in terms of being able to maintain our health uh, at a reasonable cost and with reasonable access. Uh, we would love to have you join the conversation call and tell us how you feel about our, our country's healthcare system, uh, looking at how things play out during this pandemic. What's your level of confidence? that public health or your specific health is at the center of our efforts and not just some ancillary concern. Uh, also, if you've had an encounter with the healthcare system in the last year, especially during the pandemic, we would love to hear how that experience went. I, like a lot of people, have heard really, really awful stories about uh, the way that the healthcare system has responded to people who need help during the pandemic. And a lot of it is just because the priorities are misplaced or the resources aren't there the way they should be to make sure that life is the thing that we're valuing more than anything else. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or to Twitter and put comments there. We'll try to work those into the conversation. Let's start with Anne in Waterford. Anne, what's on your mind? Hi. Hi. Uh, I'm 80 years old. I still work full-time, and I'm very fortunate in that I have a boss who provides me with excellent health care insurance. Hmm. So personally, this doesn't affect me, but it does affect me as a human being, as a, as a person. And your young man, Mr. Schneider, hits it right on the head. Freedom that, that these people are talking about who don't want to continue with the affordable health care and don't want to provide people with adequate health care, it's not freedom, it's tyranny. They are putting their what they consider their freedom ahead of the freedom of people overall. Uh, I deal with medical records and insurance claims, and I can tell you right now that the insurance companies work overtime to prevent giving adequate care to patients. Hmm. Uh, it's the monetary thing. It's hmm. the profit thing. Yeah. And we need to change our way of thinking. I have friends in Europe, uh, Denmark and England who have excellent medical care. People don't die in those countries because they can't afford medical care. We're the wealthiest country in the world, and the fact that people die and suffer because they can't get medical care is outrageous. Yeah, and I, I really appreciate the call and, and love the comments, but I also want to say it's incredible that you began uh, your phone call with announcing that you're 80 years old and still work full time. That's that's a really amazing uh, feat, and and that's a that's a great that's a great thing to be able to do. Um, Timothy Snyder, I, I'd love to have you respond to what she's saying here, though, especially the comparison between us and other countries. This is one of the things that you hear defenders of our system say all the time, which is that, well, we have the best 
healthcare in the world. Why would we want to trade that with anybody else? That's not exactly the truth. Well, in general, when, when people when people talk about how they have the best this, the number one that, then you should know that it, it's not true, right? Because generally, if you have the best thing, then other people know it's the best thing. I mean, if you try to tell someone in, in Europe that America has the best healthcare in the world, they won't even bother to laugh at you. It's just such an absurd claim. The numbers don't back it up. Um, you know, we die three, four, five years younger than people in comparable countries. Um, uh, we are, 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 are women in the United States are more likely to die during childbirth and people in about 40 other countries. Um, during this pandemic, our death rate has been much higher than in, than in comparable countries. It's laughable, frankly, it's just laughable to say that we have the best or even that we have a good healthcare system. Mm. That's just not true. It's just not true. And anyone who begins an argument with that is someone who, who must have some kind of motive. Um, so I, I mean, I, I've spent I spent a lot of time in Europe. I'm a, I'm a historian of Europe. One of my one of my kids was born here. I've been sick in both places, and I guess two two things. I mean, apart from Anne's excellent point, which is that people simply get get better care in the countries you mentioned, there are a couple of other things which help us think about freedom here. One is that you don't have to worry, right? So doing this pand during this pandemic, but also when there's not a pandemic. If you're in Austria or Germany or Sweden, you don't have to worry the way Americans do. America, I mean, half of Americans have trouble paying for care. Even if you do have insurance, you still worry whether your insurance is better than somebody else's or not. And even if you get into the hospital or getting care, you still have to think the whole time, is the decision that the doctor or nurse is making, is that really about my, my, my health or is it really about money? And you're right to be worrying about that. Whereas if you're in a different kind of system, um, then you don't have any of that anxiety. And that changes your life really for the better and makes you feel much more free. And by the way, I mean, Anne mentioned paperwork. Like when my when my first kid was born in Austria, you know how many pieces of, you know how many forms I filled out? Zero. Hmm. You know how much I paid for it? Nothing. And that's normal. And, and by the way, the care was much better than the US, the, the NATO care. That's normal, and it can be that way. And when you don't have to fill out forms, you're freer. You're, you're, you're in a much better position. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue this wonderful conversation with Timothy Snyder, and we're going to hear more from you about your experiences with the healthcare system in this country. Aaron and Jefferson Chalmers, Christopher in Detroit, Dave in Farmington. We will get right back with you. Uh, when we come back, we'll also want to hear from other folks. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. tuned into WDET 101.9, and this is Detroit Today. I am Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. My guest is Timothy Snyder, the Richard C. Levin Professor of History at Yale University and a permanent fellow at the Institute for Human Sciences in Vienna. He's also the author of a really interesting new book titled Our Malady, Lessons in Liberty, 
from a hospital diary. We are talking about the way that we interact with the healthcare system in this country, the way that it defines and many times restricts our actual freedoms in this country. And of course, we want to hear from you. What do you make of the way in which we define our freedoms in terms of our health and the way that our healthcare system refi- responds to that? Uh, especially want to hear about uh, experiences you've had during the pandemic uh, interacting with the healthcare system. As always, the number here on the phones is 313 577 1019. That's 313 577 1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and we will work you into the conversation. Uh, let's go to Joyce in Detroit. Joyce, welcome yes. to the show. Yes. My concern is we have become a pill pushing culture when it comes to medicine. We're not doing any cures. We're just pushing pills. Mm. And I have, I know some people who have uh, been damaged by this pill-pushing society. And I tell you another thing, you have to be very careful of going to the eye doctor because I was in a clinic once talking with this woman who had received some eye drops that were obsolete. had been taken off the market, oh and her doctor was describing it to her, and she lost sight in one eye. This is what we're going through. We need to deal with that. And all the commercial is pills, 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 mm-hmm. pills. Yeah. So, uh, Joyce, you're right. for the rest of your life. Yeah, Joyce, uh, you, you cannot watch television without seeing all of these ads for, for as you say, pills or, or, or medicine. Uh, Timothy, in your book, you deal with uh, the concept of pain and better ways of pain management and the opioid uh, epidemic. I think Joyce's, uh, Joyce's call is a great segue to, to talk about those things. Yeah, I, I, appreciate, I appreciate Joyce's phrase of pill, pill pushing. Um, if, what so if you're in a system which is all about money, then the doctor's time is going to be dictated by people who are not the doctor, by the people who run the hospital, and they're going to make his appointments or her appointments as, as short as possible. And when you don't have very much time, then things start to become yes or no, up or down, what can I do right now? And that leads to a culture where you, 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 you want, you know, people want to have a pill and the doctor gives in and gives in the pill because there isn't really time to follow the patient's history. One of the things I got obsessed with when I was when I was sick is how I had a history, and, and even that history was documented, but none of the doctors had time to figure out what that history was. I think that's that's a national problem. And then, you know, when you give when you, I mean sometimes pain medication is necessary, of course, but when when you when you when it becomes a habit, then what you're doing is you're you're occluding the more basic things about health, like that we need to exercise or that we need to eat or that we need to communicate or we need to have better relationships or we need to sleep, all of which things are are really important, but all of which all of which get lost. And then the consequence is that, you know, we're a country we're a country of addicts. I mean, the opioid epidemic has only gotten worse during during the uh, during the corona pandemic. Um, the, the idea that you can solve things with pills just reinforces this bad American idea that, you know, if, if there's a problem, you saw you have a quick fix and, and that's it. But health is not like that. 
I mean, for us to be a free country, we have to be in a place where all of us can count on getting whatever kind of care we need. It might be a pill, but it probably, but it probably isn't. Um, but where we are now, unfortunately, is we're in a place where there's so much pain um, and, and, and the pain starts to affect how we think about politics. Mm-hmm. And I see that this year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, Joyce, really appreciate the call and your thoughts. Let's go to Christopher in Detroit. Christopher, welcome to the show. Thank you. And hello. Hi. Uh, the thing is, is that our problem is economic. We are commodities, according to the UCC and the 14th Amendment, all persons born. The thing is, is once we uh, realize that our problem is economic and that uh, on my holistic basism and uh, trust back UBI that's on the Dream Exchange with 160 Community Recovery that we're developing with uh, Michael Stanfler and uh, the ex uh, city portage manager. Um, <clears throat> we can do this and alleviate these healthcare problems because trust, being that is trust back, we will be putting funds uh, to all persons. Uh, businesses and government institutions. Hmm. With this UBI plan, um, uh, we will have the economic power to say no, which is true freedom. Hmm. The economic power to say no and the economic power to get the things that we need and our Maslow's hierarchy of needs met. Uh, this, this is all economic. Healthcare is economic. Hmm. Everything that we uh, the, that we face right now in this time is economic. Yeah, Christopher, I I, I really appreciate uh, a, a lot of the things that you're saying there, and and it's a it's a great way to talk about some of the solutions or potential solutions uh, to to this problem. Uh, Timothy, talk about something like UBI, which Christopher mentioned several times in his call, and whether. It's the kind of direction that 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 takes us away from uh, this idea of commoditization of human life and sort of pushes us back to the idea of personal freedom being tied, uh, as Christopher says, to being able to say no or, uh, as you say, to just be able to be yourself, to be healthy and uh and and okay to live your life yeah i mean for 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 me the 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 basic the basic issue is what is economic and what is not economic i mean i think i might use that word a little differently than than christopher for for me the 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 critical thing is are our bodies just another part of the economy or are they not and and right now they basically are and I think they basically ought not to be. We, sh- we shouldn't be objects. We should be subjects. We should have a voice. We should start from start from the position that health is health is a right, and work our way out from there. There there are a number of technical ways to make sure that as a society, um, the the human beings have a lot more leverage than 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 we do right now. Right now, we you know our biggest source of information is pharmaceutical ads. Um, our, our only way of protecting ourselves is, is private is private insurance. Our only source of access is usually um, a private hospital, which is a monopoly. 
if 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 we if we had some kind of universal system or a single payer system where we were negotiating as a people that would give us the technical leverage we need to 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 realize the basic goal of having healthcare as a right and when healthcare is a right and everybody has access then economically we're we're almost all of us then are are much are much better off than we were before hmm. Okay, Timothy Snyder, we could have had you here the whole hour, and I think we would still have had more to talk about, but it was really great to have you here to talk about your new book. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Okay, that's going to do it for me today. We'll be back tomorrow when I'm going to speak with both Congresswoman Haley Stevens and her challenger in the 11th District, Eric Ashaki. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.